Turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 39. Job chapter 39, beginning at verse 13. Thirty-nine and verse thirteen says, "Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them." or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear or concern because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding what time she lifteth up herself on high she scorneth the horse and his rider verse 13 gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks or wings and feathers unto the ostrich which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust the Holy Ghost wants to speak to us tonight not in a mediocre way not in a passive way God wants to speak to us directly God wants to speak to you directly I was planning on teaching again tonight covering some other things but last night in prayer God said this is what you're going to preach. God wants to speak to you. If you are under the sound of my voice, God wants to speak to you. I know you hear me say it often that the Word doesn't stop with these four walls. But it does fill this space. And it's not just for those who are outside of these four walls. It's for you. It's for you tonight going to preach tonight with the help of the Holy Ghost, the breakout, the breakout. In Jesus' name, let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We pray that your word would not return void. God, we believe that your word will, will move beyond these walls tonight to go out into our city. And for that, God, we are thankful. But God, I believe that you want to speak to us here in this room, in this church, in this building tonight. You want to speak to this assembly. You want to speak to these people, no matter where they are, no matter where they find themselves tonight, no matter their position, no matter the length of time they've served you. You want 
to speak to them tonight in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to you, that our spirits would be open to you, that our carnal man or carnal woman would be put aside tonight, that our hearts would be softened to the hearing of the word of the Lord tonight. God, have your way in this place. Have your way in this place, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Why don't you say amen? Amen. You can be seated tonight. The breakout. We find in Job 39 that not only has Job gone through everything that we recognize that he has gone through, we understand how Satan has had his eye on Job. Satan has desired Job, much like Satan desired Peter in the New Testament. Jesus comes to the Apostle Peter. And he says, Pete, listen, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Similar circumstances, it seems, or the language would make it seem that, that there was a, a similar approach that was meaning to happen to the Apostle Peter as happened to Job, that, that he had a mark on him in Satan's eye. Satan recognized, I want to make sure that one does not make it. I want to prove a point to God. I want to prove a point to Peter. I want to prove a point to Job. I want to prove a point to God that, oh yeah, he's going to serve you as long as you keep blessing him. He'll keep serving you as long as the blessings are being poured out, as long as he is healthy, as long as he is wealthy, as long as he is wise. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so we understand how everything that Job has under his possession has been affected. He has gone from having multitudes of flocks and herds to having none. He has gone from having a storehouse, as it were, full of servants and handmaids to now he has just those who had escaped with their lives to tell him of the destruction of his property. He has gone from having sons and daughters to being childless. He's gone from having a nice home and goodly possessions to having none. He's gone from being a man of influence to now being a man who is a beggar. He's gone from being a man full of wisdom and power and prestige to being demoted to sitting in sackcloth and ashes with a broken body and a seemingly broken marriage and broken friendships, a broken home, broken possessions, a broken life. He has, he has taken a complete 180 degree turn, it, it would seem, and now he's scraping the boils on his flesh with broken pieces of pottery, pottery that used to sit 
on shelves, pottery that used to be in prominent display cases or display positions in his home has now been reduced to broken shards on the ground around him. It's no longer worthy of being a container. It's no longer able to be a vessel, but now it's been reduced to a medicinal scraper. We've gone through chapter after chapter after chapter of poetry and wisdom and uh, great discourse between Job and his friends. In Job chapter 38, the Lord begins answering Job. The Lord begins speaking to Job. In chapter 38, the Lord answers Job out of a whirlwind. And he says, who is this that darkeneth the counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man, a man, for I will demand of thee, and you're going to answer me. The Lord starts using inanimate objects or objects that do not have life in and of themselves. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if you know? Who hath stretched the line upon it? Do you know the distance? Do you know the measurement? Do you have the layout, the plan, the design, the architecture, the engineering of the very foundations of the earth? Where were you when the excavations of the earth were done in my mind? If you were there, if you know, would you please tell me? He begins this discourse between Job and God this way. He said, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? Where were you when creation was springing forth into life? Where were you when I turned off the nozzle when I said the oceans are full enough? When I closed the doors upon the fountains of the deep and I said that is enough. That's the furthest you are going to go. Job, in all of your wisdom, in all of your knowledge, tell me, please, where were you when I was doing that? And I'm here to tell you today that Job answered the same way that you and I could answer answer tonight. Lord, I wasn't there. Oh, you're telling me that I know some things that you don't know. That I've seen some things that you did not see. Yes, Lord, that's what I'm telling you. Chapter 38 is all about inanimate objects. Have you commanded the morning since your days? Since you've been alive, have you commanded the morning? And he said, hey, son, S-U-N, it's time to get up. No, Job, but the further we begin to look, the more we understand that you've never done that. You might have walked into your son's room and said, son, it's time to get up. But you have never stepped out on the portals of heaven and commanded the sun to shine. 
Where were you when the heavens were stretched out like a curtain? Like you walk into your bathroom and the shower curtain has been left open. Oh, I don't want that to mildew. Let me just grab that and stretch it back out there. That simple little action, Job. That's how I hung the stars. Tell me, have you ever done that? Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? I know you feel it right now. I know that it's Pushing down on you right now. I know you feel the forces of hell, but have you ever been to the place where the gates are shut on those spirits? Can you tell me where is the way that the light dwelleth and for the darkness? Where is the place thereof? Inanimate objects. He goes on and continues in verse 22. Have you entered into the treasures of snow or have you seen the treasures of the hail which I have reserved against the time of trouble against the day of battle and of war. Many scholars would agree that the book of Job was the earliest time frame as far as the, the first book that was recorded. And he's saying now, Job, have you seen the hail that's been stored for, for the battle where Israel is going to need my help? And I'm going to rain hailstones. Have you seen that? Because I've seen it. I've walked in that place. I, I'm, I'm the God who is standing at the end and is looking back at the beginning. But I'm not just standing here at the end. I'm also standing over here at the beginning. I am the God which is and which was and which is to come. The Almighty. I'm the God who's at the end and at the beginning and everywhere in between. Pray tell me Job, have you seen these things? No. 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 Job, by what way? Verse 24 is the light parted. God divided the light from the darkness. And the darkness he called day. I'm sorry, the, the, the day, the light he called day and the darkness he called night. Job, please, where's that division? I, I, I can't tell you, Lord. Out of whose womb came the ice, the frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? He, he would go before that in verse 28. Has the rain a father? Who hath begotten the drops of dew? Verse 30, the waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the sweet influences of these constellations? Can you bring forth this constellation or, or that in his season or, or this one with his son? 
before a Greek philosopher, before the astronomers and the astrologers ever had a chance to sit down and name the constellations, God is asking Job, have you seen the way I have painted the night sky with my creativity? Have you seen it, Job? He's inanimate objects in verse, I'm sorry, in chapter 38. When, when the dust groweth in verse 38, into hardness and the clods cleave fast together. Do you even understand how dust and dirt clods can come from the same material? Will you hunt the prey for the lion or feel the appetite of the young lions when they couch in their dens and abide in the covert to lie in wait? Can you communicate with animals, Joe? Can you provide for them? Who provideth? For the raven his food when his young ones cry unto God. Do you hear that cry, Job? No. But I, God, do. In verse, I'm sorry, in chapter 39, he begins using animate objects. Begins to compare with Job animals and the animal kingdom knowest thou the time when the uh, the wild goats of the rock bring forth or canst thou mark when the hinds do cast do you know when life is being born into this world job do you know when the animal kingdom is growing job pray tell me which came first the chicken or the egg He's going on and he's going forth. and It's a, a dialogue between God and Job. Can you number the months that they fulfill? Do you know the time that they carry their young and when the, the seasons are? He goes on in, in our text in verse 13. Gavest thou the goodly wings under the peacocks? Did you design that peacock's feathers? Did you make it so the peacock could fly, but the ostrich could not? Did you design the wings and the feathers of the ostrich? Did you make that strange-looking bird that cannot fly, but can run 50 to 60 miles per hour, and it's, it's, it's ugly and it's weird-looking? Did that come from your imagination? Job. No, it did not. It came from mine. And that peacock in all of her glory or all of his glory as the tail fans out and it begins to make its calls and it begins to take flight from place to place, from roost to roost. Do you understand, Job, that the same God that created a peacock is the same God that created the ostrich? If you read between verse 1 and verse 12 of Job 39, you'll hear words like unicorn. And he's saying, Job, do you understand? And I know that man has taken it and, and all of that, but the, the, the original language really means cow. But a one-horned cow doesn't sell nearly as many coloring books as a one-horned horse that flies. Cavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks. Did you make the wings, feathers, 
under the ostrich? I mean, have you seen those wings, Joe? They have wings to classify them in the fowl family. Yet, they cannot fly. With one kick, could potentially break the back of a lion. Yet, in all of that weird, cool, strange, odd glory that God created the ostrich, Job, she lays her eggs in the sand. And not as most birds do. They don't, she doesn't lay her eggs in nests that are made in branches or of branches in trees or in the cracks, in the crags of rocks where they could be inaccessible. But as if she was forgetful of the fact that a wild beast might pass along and crush them, she buries her eggs in the sand. In places where the eggs might be covered by a layer of sand up to 12 inches thick, the danger of crushing or being trampled on in the desert floor is not so great, but when the eggs are numerous as they sometimes are, as the dominant female of the group lays her her group of seven to ten eggs in the center of the nest, and then those females in the group who are not as dominant are then left to lay their eggs on the outskirts, and, and, and the brood of eggs could be up to thirty. She doesn't stay with her eggs during the day. Because the sun is going to come out and the sun is going to heat up the ground and the sun is going to heat up the eggs and and the sun will do the incubating, Job. But she might come back that night when the, when the temperature cools off. But, but what she doesn't understand because she doesn't have the wisdom to understand that God didn't give her the wisdom to understand that while she's gone throughout the day, there could be a breaking in into the eggs. There could be somebody. There could be someone on purpose. There could be an animal on purpose. Uh, there could be a human on accident or on purpose that might come and, and accidentally step on the eggs. If there's just a, a thin layer of sand, then They are prone to breaking. They are prone to destruction because she has not taken the time to cover them the way that she should have covered them. She often wanders away from them. She doesn't stay near to guard them as most parent birds do. As if she were unmindful of the danger to which they might be exposed when she was absent. There have been times when I've been driving down the road and you see a, something like a red-tailed hawk flying along the road and you see these smaller birds dive-bombing at that hawk. And to my own natural mind, I am thinking, my Lord, those birds are crazy. That, that hawk's Talons, that hawk's 
Uh, that hawk is built to be a raptor. That hawk is built to be a predator. That hawk is not omnivorous. That, that hawk is carnivorous. That, that hawk wants meat. It wants to eat meat. And those birds are dive bombing in and out, chasing that hawk away from the tree line because those little sparrows and those little robins and those little blue jays, whatever they are, those little martin birds have an understanding that I've got to protect my brood. I have to protect my nest. And it doesn't matter how big that enemy is. It doesn't matter how bad that enemy is. It doesn't matter the, the sharpness of his beak or the length of his talons. You're not getting close to my eggs. But the ostrich as big, as powerful, as fast, as she is, does not have the wisdom. She forgetteth that the foot may crush them. The foot of the traveler. They're laid in the ground where he may walk or on the sand of a seashore where he may tread and trample upon them unawares and crush them to pieces. To prevent that from happening, this, this creature that God is speaking about, known as the ostrich, does not have the foresight, the foreknowledge to do that, or, or it doesn't understand that the wild beast may break them, supposing that, the, that they might be a, 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 in a place where, where man cannot get to them. There's also a wild beast that could come in and, and might be watching the nest. And I, I saw a little video clip today of, of these ostriches that had been, uh, that had hatched and and there's a pride of lions over there on the sidelines and they're watching as those little birds that, that, that they're freshly born and they're about 12 inches tall and, and they come out of those eggs and, and, and the lions see them pop up out of the nest and they're taken off running around and, and the lioness runs after one but she's not satisfied with one because you can see the bones you can see her ribs she's emaciated she does not look healthy she looks hungry and so she understands the mama's not around if mama was around then I may not do this. I may not have the chance to. That mama could kill me with one kick. But the ostrich doesn't understand that. Lioness grabbed one, shook it, and then saw another. And she drops the one that she had. She goes and grabs the next one. She grabs the next one and she brings it back and then picks up the other one as well. She is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear, because God hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. The time she lifteth herself up on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Eggs, ostriches, peacocks, eggs. Case of an ostrich. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. If you were to look up a title for Deuteronomy 22, it would say various laws. 
Deuteronomy 22.5 The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Makes sense. We understand that, but we're not preaching about holiness tonight. Verse 6. If a bird's nest, we just went from holiness, we just went from separation, we just went from abomination to a bird's nest. If a bird's nest chants, to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs or the dam, meaning the female sitting upon the young or upon the eggs. Thou shalt not take the dam with the young. We were just talking about men wearing skirts and, and ladies wearing pants and, and all of these things and separation from the world. Why would God stop and insert into that momentous Important scripture. I was trimming shrubs the other day. I had my head trimmers out there. And if you're going to trim boxwoods, don't use motorized trimmers. Make them look like garbage. So I have my little hand shears out there. It's more work, but man, they look good. And I'm going down through there, and I come around the little corner, and I'm I'm trimming that curve just right, and that, that front is just right. And I, I come around there, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Right there in the middle of that shrub, there is a bird's nest that was empty. And so what did I do? I grabbed the bird's nest and I chucked it in the landscape. It was empty. It was buried down into that bush. But Deuteronomy 22 and 5, I'm sorry, 22 and 6, the Lord is telling the Israelites, hey, if that's happening to you and you get there and you see the eggs and you see the bird, you can't take everything. But thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest prolong thy days. And then he goes on in verse 8. When you build a new house, make a battlement for thy roof that thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence. If you're building a house in that culture, the, the roofs were flat. That was another story. That was another gathering place. That was another living space. But God just told Moses, tell the children of Israel, if you're building a house, make sure there's a railing around it. Because you don't want the blood to be on your hands if somebody falls off the roof and breaks their neck and dies. So sandwiched between separation from the world and hey, make sure nobody falls off the roof and dies is hey, this is how you treat a bird's nest. This is how you treat the eggs. Why in the world would God waste time? Why in the world would an intentional God who does not do anything just by the seat of his pants, why in the world would God waste space in the Bible to mention these, these seeming, seemingly simple and boring and insignificant things like eggs? Why would he bring up eggs to Job who's sitting there scraping sores and boils out of his body with broken pieces of pottery? Why would he stop a seemingly important discourse in the law of Moses to say, hey, this is how we treat the eggs. 
This is how we treat the birds. It's just an egg. It's got a shell. You want to look this up on your own? It's exploratorium.edu. The shell is just a, a bumpy, grainy, textured covering. An eggshell is covered with as many as 17,000 tiny pores. It's made almost entirely of calcium carbonate. Crystal. If you're a chemist, it's CaCO3. It is a semi-permeable membrane, which means that air and moisture can pass through its pores. The shell also has a thin outermost coating called the bloom or the cuticle that helps keep out bacteria and dust. If you move beyond the shell to the innermost part, not the innermost part, but the next layer in. You didn't think about the anatomy of an egg tonight when you got to church, did you? There is an inner and an outer membrane lying between the egg shell and the egg white. These two transparent protein membranes provide efficient defense against bacterial invasion. If you were to give these layers a tug, you'd find that they are surprisingly strong because they're made partly of keratin, a protein that's also in human hair. You move beyond the inner and outer membranes and you'll find an air space called an air cell that forms when the contents of the egg cool and contract after the egg is laid. The air cell usually rests between the outer and inner membranes at the egg's larger end. It accounts for the crater that you often see at the end of a hard-boiled egg. The air cell grows larger as the egg ages. You move beyond that, and you'll find something that we call the egg white it's actually known as the albumen, which comes from a Latin word meaning white. There are four alternating layers of thick and thin albumen containing approximately 40 different proteins. The main components of the egg white is protein in addition to water. You move beyond that and there are opaque ropes of egg white that hold the yolk in the center of the egg. It is suspended there. You see the little twisted lines holding the yolk in the middle of the egg. Like little anchors. They attach to the yolk's casing. I'm sorry, they attach the yolk's casing to the membrane lining inside the egg shell. The more prominent those little anchors are, the fresher the egg. You move beyond that to another membrane that is the clear casing that encloses the yolk. And then you get down to the yolk that 
yellowish, orange part of the egg that you see when you crack it and you empty it out into a skillet. The yolk contains less water and more protein than the whites. Contains some fat and also contains most of the vitamins and minerals of the egg. Those minerals include iron, vitamin A, vitamin D, phosphorus, calcium, thiamine, and riboflavin. The yolk is a source of lecithin, an effective emulsifier. Look that up on your own. Yolk colors range from just a hint of yellow to a magnificent deep orange according to the feed and the breed of the hen. So, that's an egg in a nutshell. But beyond your refrigerator, beyond the carton that you see on a daily basis, beyond the yellow mixture in your frying pan, there is another aspect of eggs that we cannot afford to skip over. There is a process in the development and the growth of eggs and the maturation or the maturing of that egg to what we call hatching. Webster defines hatch as to produce young by incubation. To emerge from an egg, a chrysalis or a pupa. To give forth young. To produce young from an egg by applying natural or artificial heat. The hatching process is a beautiful process. It shocked me. I've been around eggs a long time. I've eaten more eggs than I can count. I've butchered more chickens than I ever thought I would. And that's not that many. But this process of hatching, when you begin to study it, you begin to watch it, you begin to see the imagination and the genius of our Creator. In just three weeks, an egg transforms from what is essentially similar to a fertilized table egg into a live, complete chick in a commercial hatchery the climax of this transformation the hatching of the chick occurs in the dark it occurs behind closed doors and most of the time the hatchery workers don't ever get to notice what's going on with the egg beauty and the relevance of the hatching process is not something that should remain behind closed doors. I'm, I preach everything I preach tonight to get to this. As incubation draws to an end, the chick starts to fill the egg nearly completely. However, that's not the most important trigger for the start of the hatching process. If you have zoned out on me up to this point, you need to pay attention right now. Around day 18 of incubation, the chick starts to retract the residual yolk. The yolk that's left over, it begins to pull it 
back into its body cavity. Up until that point, the embryo has used the, the, the membrane, the CAM membrane for respiration. It's diffused both carbon dioxide and two molecules of oxygen or O2. It's been getting its respiration abilities from outside the egg. It's been drawing it in through those 17,000 pores. But now, the oxygen demand in this embryo is increasing as it grows. And it becomes more active. While the supply of how it's been used to breathing is running out. And that chick inside the egg feels like it's suffocating. It's grown too big for the shell. It's not just the size of that chick. I've got to be able to breathe. The shortage of oxygen triggers the embryo to start lung respiration. This unborn chick, this embryo instinctively puts its head under its right wing. Every chicken, every chick does it exactly the same. Its head goes under its right wing with the beak pointing toward the membrane that separates the contents of the egg from the air in the cell. This is called internal pipping. At a, on an average, 19 days and 12 hours of incubation, the embryo pierces the inner membrane and starts lung ventilation in the air cell. Internal pipping. Even though the first lung respiration has started, the CAM mucus, the, the, the fluid remains important for respiration up until day 20 of incubation. We're at day 19 and hour 12. For 12 hours, that chick is using both the fluid and the air cell. But up until day 20, Now, internal pipping cannot be seen from outside the egg. But if you were at day 19, hour 12, to pick up that egg that's being incubated and torch it is what it's called. You put, uh, you put the egg on top of a flashlight and the light shines through it and you can see that chick inside the egg and that bottom part of that egg that's just been nothing but air and it's seemingly unimportant but now that chick has got his beak pushed through that air cell and he's saying I don't want to stay the way I am I need more than this to survive 
I said, I need more than this to survive. I'm not satisfied staying at this level. I'm not satisfied floating in obscurity. I'm not satisfied at this point. I'm preaching to you tonight why God would stop talking about separation and he would insert the fact that this is what you do. He said, I don't want you to stop the reproductive cycle of the bird kingdom. So it's important enough for me to place this here because in 2021, somebody needs to understand what it's going to take to break out. But it doesn't stop there. It's gotten to the point that I've, I'm using up all the oxygen that's been soaking in through the pores. That minuscule amount has kept me going for 19 days and 12 hours. But I need more. Notice, for, for 19 days and 12 hours, it has lived just Sucking in just enough. Just enough. But for 12 hours, it's saying, you know what? I know there's more out here and I know that I need more, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stay in this state of living in the fluid and living in the air cell more than I have to. I, I, I'm not satisfied going bumping back and forth. I'm not satisfied just living in this state. I've gotta break out of here. I've gotta get more than this. Furthermore, the embryo my mind may have started clicking or peeping nobody else can see what's going on nobody else knows what's going on inside the egg the hen doesn't know the farmer doesn't know the other eggs around it don't know what's going on but it's pushed beat through and punctured and oh man this is different but I'm caught in between these two stages and that embryo starts sending out signals it starts clicking it starts peeping What's it doing? It's starting to communicate to the other eggs that are in the incubator or in the nest. Hey! I know we've never seen each other, but I just got a breath of fresh air. Do you feel what I feel? I know this is a lot better than what I had before. Do you? Oh, why don't you just put your beak up to that air cell? Why don't you just puncture that? Why don't you let some of that air flow into your lungs? Why don't you start breathing on your own? 
if the hatching environment is quiet. This is not written by a preacher. It's written by a, a poultry specialist. chicken expert says if the hatching environment is quiet they can trigger each other with these sounds to start the hatching process I think I got enough strength I think I got enough to push through and somebody over here saying you know what I've been struggling. I've been living in darkness. The door's been closed on me for too long. I hear my brother over there. I hear my sister over there. You know what? If God can break in on them, if God can help them grow beyond the limitations, I believe God can help me grow too. But nobody can see on the outside what's going on. They're just sending signals back and forth. They're saying, hey, it's time to grow. It's time to move. It's time to get out. But it's still internal pipping. About 12 hours after it has pierced the inner membrane, the embryo starts tapping on the eggshell. But wouldn't that, wouldn't that hurt its beak? It's so young. It's, it's so, it's so weak. Remember, we were in fifth grade science class. The teacher had gotten an incubator. And day 20, we started hearing a little pecking on the inside. You're thinking, man, how's that chicken going to do it? How in the world is he going to break through that shell? It takes 25 newtons worth of force to break through an eggshell. If you hold an eggshell in your hand and you're able to evenly distribute the force, you cannot break it. But God, in His infinite wisdom, equipped the unborn chick with something called an egg tooth that is sharp and it is a strong structure that can be temporarily found on the top of the beak. And it's repeatedly tapping the eggshell in the same spot. Contrary to popular belief, it does not start by pressing out all over the shell. It understands this shell. If, if I try to just expend my energy to break the whole thing open at once, if I try to figure out all of the answers at once, I'm never going to be able to get out. But let me preach to you tonight. The secret to breaking out is find that one spot. God has equipped you to break through that one point. It's repeatedly tapping the eggshell in the same spot and it's causing the shell to weaken and to eventually break. It's called external 
Pipping. And what it had been doing before anybody could see, before anybody understood what was going on, before anybody could hear what was going on, it was learning how to break through. It might have just started, Brother Ezekiel, with that soft membrane into the air cell. But once I learned to break through that easy membrane, I learned how to break through when everybody else was breaking through. I learned how to break through in the altar through that one situation. But let me tell you, if you've ever broken through before, you can break through again. If God has ever supplied the strength to get through it one time, God is supplying the strength to break through again. Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. No, but I know the fact that you're here tonight means that you broke through. And if you broke through internally, you can break through externally. Pipping demands great effort. The pipping muscle. It's a neck muscle that's used to make that specific movement. He's not got a lot of room to move. He's not got a lot of room to get up a bunch of force to break out all at once. If I can focus on this one spot, God, I may feel like it's killing me. I don't have the strength to break through everything. But if, God, I'm feeling some muscle cramps in my prayer life. I'm feeling weakness in my prayer life. I'm feeling some weakness in my Bible reading. I'm feeling some weakness in my fasting. I'm preaching to you tonight. You're going to break through. You're going to break through. You're going to break through. Take another swing. Take another pack. Take another pip. By the time that chick makes that movement enough to break through, that muscle in its neck is bulging. From the outside and from the inside, it's taking everything that chick has got. God, I feel like I'm dying. I'm tired of this darkness, but I'm trying to break through. But it's taking everything that I've got. Oh, honey, but I can see a crack on the outside. Why would God stop talking about separation? Because he's trying to let you know. I I put it in the law that you're going to make it. You're going to survive. But all I know is darkness. Keep swinging. From the outside, that small star-shaped crack or star-shaped hole in the eggshell can be seen. Sometimes. Boom. You look down and you see that little beak sticking out. But he's not out yet. He's broke through in that one spot, Sister Blaze. Sister Blaze, you got on that bus that first time. And you didn't know, every time you went home, you didn't know how it was going to work out. But you got on that bus again. You got on that bus again. You came and sat on those church steps again. Coming to Sunday school again. 
before long. My God, I can see light. My God, I can see light. I've never seen light before. Never seen light before. I can't squeeze through that little hole. So you know what that chick does? He or she turns his head just a little bit further and starts again. Watch the video. It's incredible. I gotta break three. I gotta break free from the eggshell. It can take normally it can take up to 12 hours longer after the pipping starts to break free. I don't understand why it's not happening overnight. Because you're breaking out for good. I fear that sometimes we're satisfied just breaking through enough to get a little bit of light. To stick that beak out there and draw in a lung full of air. I'm just learning how to breathe. I'm just learning to see in the light. But God's saying, I've not designed you to just live with a little people. I designed you to break out. I didn't design you to have partial freedom. I designed you to have complete freedom. Broke through. It takes a rest. And then it starts cutting the eggshell with the egg tooth. While cutting, the embryo turns around inside the egg. That chick starts going around the circumference of that egg. It's using that wing for direction. It's using his legs for force. It's not just head movement. It's not just beak movement. It's not just a little clap of the hands on a Wednesday night. It's not just a, oh, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, on a Sunday morning. It's not a Baptist head nod on a Sunday night. But what it is, it involves the entire body of that chick. Because it's not just the mind that's desiring to be free. The body is saying, I'm tired of being cramped in these close quarters. I want out. I want out. I want out. Once it's cut a three-quarter circle in the shell of the blunt end of that egg, that, that chick starts trying to push itself out of the egg, forcefully stretching its legs. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. 
It might take up to another 12 hours total. It might, after it gets that first little bit of air, it might take 12 hours. But I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm tired of being cramped. I'm, t- I'm coming out. And it starts pushing with its head. It starts shoving with its legs. You watch that crack extend the rest of the way around that egg. All of a sudden, you've seen it in the little cartoons where a little chick pops up. He's got a little smile on his face and a little eggshell on top of his head. Go find a video. Find a little time lapse. That's not the way it happens at all. The video that I watched, Sister Tracy, watched more than one. That chick comes busting out of there. Lapses. It's soaked. Fluid. It's limp. It tries to get up. It flops again. It tries to take a step. Brother George, it doesn't have the strength. Collapses again. And he scooted himself out of the egg. My head's free. But I gotta get the rest of the way out. He's dragging. He takes a break. I'm not out yet, but I'm not giving up. I know I look dead, but I'm not dead. I hadn't come this far. And it's breaking out, and it's breaking loose. And it's pushing with everything that it's got. And it's dragging its wings. And in that little incubator, that egg's got room to roll around. And it bumps up into another egg. And you see that that egg is halfway around. You see the little beak popping out. And the one is outside struggling. He's breathing. He's got air flowing into his lungs. He's breathing on his own. But he feels dead. It's taken every bit of energy that he's had. But I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. It keeps chirping. It keeps peeping. Because it's letting somebody else know. We're in this together. And if I broke out, you can break out. And you see it. And when the next one comes out, that chick that's already been out, and it's been laying there, it's been conserving energy. It looks like it's dead. It's wet. You can't tell that it's got feathers, even though it does. That little yellow fluffy chick hasn't been seen yet. It's all there for the heath. Every bit of it's there. But it's been coated. It's been coated by 19 and a half days of oppression. Oh, but the shell was my protector for a while. 
That's where I grew up. That's I, I've been there. and it, it was my protection, and I, I got enough off mom and daddy's relationship with God. I was able to, to draw it in. I was able, I pulled it in. And all the while, the air cell has been there. But I haven't been in the position. I haven't been strong enough. I haven't been able enough. That's why, Brother Craig, it's vitally important that we have a relationship with God for ourselves. Because mom and dad's relationship is not going to be enough. i got to break out. I gotta break out. I gotta get God on my own. I gotta get God for myself. And that chick that has freed himself from the shell has been laying there just trying to breathe. Thought it was gonna die. But really, that struggle. Gave it the strength to live. It's a scientifically proven fact. The struggle to break out gives, gives it the strength to live. And when it sees its brother or its sister finally break out, you know what that chick did? Drug himself over there. Flopped himself down next to his sibling. And they breathed together. Then there was a third one. And the two dragged themselves over there. You made it! You made it! I know you feel like you're dying, but you made it! And then a fourth one. And one of them leaves. One of them leaves a little group of three and says, hey, you stay here with Joe. You stay here with this one. I'm going to go over here. He's still not He's still not where he needs to be. He's still feeling a little bit hopeless. You stay here. I'm going over here. And before long, the six or seven eggs that were in that incubator are all busted out. And they're all laying there in a group together. And they're all breathing together. And they're saying, hey, thank you for letting me know I was going to make it. Thank you for letting me know that I had a possibility, that I had the potential for for life. Eventually, the pecking, the stretching, the pushing will cause the last bit of the shell cap to break loose, allowing that chick to push itself free. Newly hatched chicks look very wet, tired, and vulnerable. A while after hatching, their down feathers dry, and they become the fluffy, little yellow, active chicks that you and I see in the hardware store trough for sale. Just a short time ago, that chick thought it was going to die. You mean to tell me there's a hunger inside me for more, but I'm going to feel like I'm dying in order to achieve it? Yeah. That's exactly. question is how bad 
do you want to live? How bad do you want to live? Lamentations 4.3 Even the sea monsters draw out the breast. They give suck to their young ones, the daughters of my people. The daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. I preach all of that to say this. This is not a church that will forsake those who are struggling to become. This is not a church that will walk away from those who need to break out. This is a mother who is concerned with your breaking out. I preach all of this tonight to let you know and to let hell know that I will not sit idly by and let the enemy trample over the eggs. God spoke to me last night during prayer and he said the egg was designed to break. It was a safety for a season in the egg, but it was designed to be broken. The struggle will bring strength. It's time to break forth. It's time to break out. If you're not confident that you have the strength on there on your own, do you have the will? Do you have the willpower to break out? I just don't know if I can make it. Then hear the peeping, hear the chirping of somebody who is breaking out. There are some in this room tonight that have gone through secret struggles in the past few months. More than one and more than you know. They fought hell. They've had their hopes dashed. They've been through hell and high water. But hear the chirping, hear the peeping of someone who has made it. Hear the chirping of somebody who said, I will not die here. I am breaking out. I am breaking out. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. I'm breaking out. Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. He was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. But he was in prison. He was locked down. He shouldn't have made it. But yet he did. Hear the pipping of Joseph who said, even though I've been forsaken, I'm still making it. Even though I've been sold out, I'm still making it. 
the walls of Jericho were supposed to be impenetrable but God caused them to fall down the city of Jabus thought that the lame the weak and the old could defend it because of its natural position of defense its natural position of strength but there was a back door through an aqueduct that allowed David and his men to have the victory they weren't supposed to make it but God said there's a little opening There's a little opening. There's a little crack on a Wednesday night. The first Wednesday night in June. I know you can't see how it's going to work out, but can you see a little bit of light tonight? I wonder if you've got the willpower. I wonder if I've got anybody that says, you know what, Pastor? I've broken through before. I want to help somebody else break through.